right before this episode i just want to apologize for the lack of podcasts that i've been coming out with i originally recorded the episode that you're about to hear last weekend on the 3rd of july and i found out during the early hours of the 4th of july which was my granddad's 89th birthday that he had passed away the episode itself it's great like but it it just needed a little bit of editing due to to technical difficulties nothing major and i hadn't really had the time to get around to it and with everything that was going on until now so i mean i'd say i'd like to dedicate this episode to me granddad but the truth is that the entire podcast is dedicated to him um me and him would have conversations about football and about life in general for hours and hours and hours particularly when i was younger hence me choosing the career path that i'm on um my inclination towards podcasts and wanting to talk about football um and sports for a living so uh, i won't keep you from the episode much longer uh, i just want to take the opportunity to say rest easy granddad thank you for being the best role model that i could have ever wished for and all i ever wanted to do was make you proud um it's been a tough eight or nine months but i hope you're having a good time up there with me dad <laughs> cheers it's a pleasure to be joined by the ask someone who i always enjoy speaking with due to his insight and interesting opinions so paul i really appreciate you taking time out of your weekend to, to have a chat uh, how's things uh, well, first of all, hi, Max. Um, likewise, I uh, always enjoy speaking with you. Um, all good here. Uh, Everton are the gift that keeps giving to people that do podcasts. So there's always something to talk about. So, um, yeah, even when we're not playing football. So all good. Yeah, of course. And I mean, we, we've had a quick run through the itinerary. And first, to wade through the issues regarding the managerial position at Everton Football Club uh, before getting into to lighter issues. Um, but this is the first podcast that I'm recording since the announcement that Rafael Benitez has been appointed Everton manager on what the club has stated to be a three-year contract. Um, I also read from Tony Evans in The Independent that it was a, a two-year contract with the option of a further year uh, at a staggering £15 million a year, which I'm not quite sure how legitimate that is, uh, and I do hope that's not true. Um, but the... There are many different angles to this, um, and we'll try and touch on them. But to me, <laughs> overall, this sort of feels like a bad dream that I can't quite wake up from. Um, and I do have interest, I must say, in evaluating this from both sides as ever, trying to be level-headed. But Paul, just to get your initial thoughts on the appointment. Uh, I, I think it says so much about where we are as a club. Um, in so many different ways in terms of the process that we went through to get the manager um, and the fact that we eventually get to Benitez and whoever makes the decisions and we can talk about who makes the decisions, I suppose, um, thinks that Benitez is the answer to our problems. Uh, I, I get that. I get the idea and there's obviously a lot of work going on at the moment from the club in terms of making Benitez appear to be more acceptable and, you know, there's a lot of Evertonians, quite rightly, trying to present a, a positive case mm -hmm. for Benitez to, um, to, to to be our manager. But I I think I think we have to start at um, how on earth do we end up with Benitez as manager after five years of having a, a billionaire owner that's thrown more than half a million pounds at the club? Um, and we still think that somebody like Benitez is the is the guy to take us forward. 
It's, it's, it's just a stag- it's, it's, it's a staggering appointment as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Um, as I say, because it, it just puts just into focus exactly where we are as a club. Um, and the fact that Mashiri is, uh, you know, making is what, what this is his fifth decision uh, in terms of manager. Uh, and he's not using the, um, the people that he has within the, within the club in particular um, brands just, just says it all for me. I think the club is a um, effectively a plaything for Mashiri. And that's not to say that he's not necessarily serious about it. Clearly, he is mm. because of the level of commitment that he's, you know, financial commitment that he's put into it. But we are, if any, anybody was ever in any doubt as to whether or not we're subject to his whims or not, um, unfortunately, as a football club, we are. Yeah, and. I'll I'll pose this question to you because I've asked this uh, of the last couple of podcast guests that I've had um, in regarding similar subjects. But as you rightly say, uh, you can't fault the man for his investment in the football club. And I remember during my childhood under David Moyes that you know the, it was constantly, "Oh, I wish we just had money. Uh, I wish we just had investment." Um, now that seems to be the case. Five years on, uh, we find ourselves in this situation. So the question I want to throw at you, which I'm sure um, you've analysed over and over again over the duration of the five years, but have we made any sort of progress as a football club in those five years? That's a really good question. It's interesting, isn't it? When when we had no money, uh, as you say, under the David Moyes era, we never really had to ask ourselves what we would do if we had money because we didn't have it. Mm-hmm. We never had to look at the board and say, would the board be able to put us in a better position if the money was available to them because it just wasn't available to them. Um, and I think what we've learned over the last um, five years is that the, the, the board haven't served the club well um, and quite clearly on many major decisions, the uh, decisions have been made by Mashiri and the board themselves have, have not necessarily put their case forward. Um, are we any further forward? The, the, the one area that we're forward on, obviously, is is the stadium, and that stadium wouldn't have happened without without Mashiri. Um, but in terms of us being a footballing organisation, no, because I think we found, what we found is that other clubs have developed and other clubs have, have advanced in the last five years um, at our expense. So, um, you know, when Mashiri came to us in 2016, we were definitely still the best of the rest, yeah. uh, even if the rest were, were now six rather than four. Um, can we really say that we're the best of the of the rest outside of the top six now? Um, clearly we're not. So... Both in relative terms, but also in absolute terms, I think we've actually gone backwards as a club. And the reason, the reason, I think there's a number of reasons for that. Uh, recruitment has to be the the principal reason. Recruitment of, of managers, of coaches, of um, players. Um, but then it's also, you know, leadership and governance from within the organisation itself, uh, and standards. Yeah. objectives, you know, all, all of the words that sort of tumble out of a sort of um, like, like, like a business course. Uh, Everton, Everton are, you know, would, would be case, great um, case studies in terms of all the things that are really important in organisations in order to succeed um, and the areas where we haven't done them. So uh, I think it's been a very disastrous, disastrous is probably too strong a word. But it's not far off disastrous because, you know, we've had the opportunity, we've had the money to spend. Um, the opportunity has presented itself because not all of the top six clubs have performed well over that period. Arsenal haven't performed well over that period. Tottenham are now going through a very difficult period. Mm. And those gaps in the top six have been taken by uh, Leicester City and perhaps even West Ham um, and, and not by us. And that's, that's I think, where we need to look at and say, have have the club done a good enough job? Has the owner done a good enough job with the resources that they've that he's put in? Um, and the answer to that is a very clear no. Mm. I think that analogy of it 
was absolutely perfect. I could I could picture a thirty mark question in a business module. What went wrong at Everton Football Club following the two thousand and sixteen investment? Um, but I think you very right in in your assessment there unfortunately and you've just got to hope uh, I guess because that's all you've got really going forward that things will resolve themselves but to to turn it back to to Benitez and, and the different angles of where people seem to be not only attacking but as you say there's some that are supportive um just debating I guess is a better word the the appointment of Benitez um Benitez is only the second manager to take the managerial post at both Everton and Liverpool since Irishman William Edward Barclay, who, interestingly, I read is noted to be the first manager of both sides. Um, Benitez, though, of course, is one of Liverpool's most revered figures, um, winning an FA Cup uh, and a Champions League there uh, and managing some very good Liverpool teams. Um Paul, to this today, I know it was seemingly a lot different around the the seventies and the eighties, but Merseyside is known for being very tribal when it comes to football. Um, but this isn't like a Jurgen Klopp or even a Brendan Rodgers coming to Everton, who have both had their recent successes. Um, so, what bearing to you does the former Liverpool factor have when you look at this decision? To me personally, it it doesn't really make any difference to me. Um, okay. The comment that he made, he he made a comment, and 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 that's it. But that's a very that's just my personal view. I can understand many people, and certainly people that you know obviously live in the city. Uh, it's a much more difficult decision to accept um, because it leaves us open to uh, comment and uh, and a degree of ridicule from uh, from from our neighbours. So that makes it. Difficult for those people that live in the city, less so for those that don't. Um, I think there, <laughs> there is a small positive about uh, Benitez coming in, and that's if that is if you believe that, notwithstanding all that I just said about what Mashiri's done to date, that if Mashiri has got to the point where actually he's now fed up of us not performing, um, he's fed up of being legged over by managers. Um, you know, we'll talk about Angelotti, I guess, in, in, in a few minutes, but clearly legged over by him, that he sees uh, Benitez as the as the one individual out there, the one manager out there, in the, almost in the modern game, that's prepared to stand up to the owners, prepared to stand up to the, um, to the directors of the club, prepared to make hard decisions in terms of, you know, uh, changing things. And I, I can see an argument for Benitez coming in as an instrument of change uh, because change is dramatically needed at Everton. Mm. It's needed in obviously in, in the boardroom, uh, but it's needed all, all over the club. And, you know, we've, uh, lots of people talk about FC Cozy and the culture of the club. Um, Benitez might actually be the individual that can change that uh, because, you know, he, ha- he has a record of... Uh, well, he has a record of, of being able to change things. So, and I don't think he's the type of character that that will just accept, perhaps, some of the behaviours and some of the attitudes that have gone on. Um, not necessarily just with the players, but in terms of the coaching staff, in terms of the academy, and in terms of all of the people upstairs as well. So that that I suppose is the one um, potential immediate positive. And it might be, you know, if we're, if we're looking for logical reasons, it might be the reason why Mashiri um, brought him in. Perhaps, and I can see why you see it that way. Um, and it's a very interesting point about uh, the club at, at an executive level. Um, and, you know, beneath that, the, the coaching staff and the academy that, Rafa may rarely put a stamp on things. Oh, Jesus, I've just called him Rafa. I told you before that I can't call him Rafa yet. Um, but <laughs> I, I don't quite know, Paul. I The thought of him leading Everton out um, at Bramley Moor, uh, it doesn't quite sit with me. Um, I know it's a, a three-year contract. Um, and, you know, God knows if Bramley Moor will be 
be built that by then. Um, but I don't know. Uh, again, it might just be the tribal thing that I'm I'm still trying to get over. Um, but as I said, uh, I'm looking to to assess this in fairness. Um, and I think that you do have to highlight, um, you know, football reasoning aside. Um, you know, he, he's demonstrated that he's a wonderful humanitarian um, through his, his charity work um, within the region with donating money to the Hillsborough Family Support Group uh, and the Reese Jones Memorial Fund, uh, just to name a few, which, of course, is fantastic. And he does deserve all the respect in the world for that. However, and perhaps the most important factor for me is Benitez's recent career. Um in comparison to his earlier successes at the likes of Valencia and Liverpool. Um, I was having a quick read through um, just his career overview before doing the podcast and um, following, you know, he he had a short-lived stint um, at Real Madrid, uh, but nonetheless, it it is impressive to be, you know, considered a a candidate for that job, never let alone get it. more sort of short-lived but trophy trophy lifting seasons at Inter. Um, I remember the stint at Chelsea well, uh, where he won the Europa League and Napoli. Um, but where it starts to get worrying for me is, of course, he goes and, and joins Newcastle. Um, can't save them from relegation. Wins the, the championship the following season and comes back up. Um, and I remember very well, um, I think it was under Marco Silva when his Newcastle side come to Goodison. Um, I think it was when they robbed, they, when they got the two goals in, in injury time. And okay, a result's a result, but it was one of the most defensive uh, and uninspiring performances that I've seen from, from an away side um, coming to Goodison. Uh, and of course, um, he went to China managing daily and professional football club, uh, which, as many know, there's been huge financial developments in the region in regards to football. Um, I recently listened to Simon Jordan's take on on Benitez, which I thought was very well, you know, articulated uh, and enunciated in how he got his points across. Um, So I'll pose it to you, Paul. Do you think Rafael Benitez is an elite manager? No, not not currently. Not given his track record in the last sort of four, five, five, six years, isn't it now? Um, obviously, there was a time when he was. I mean, he he won the FIFA World Coach of the Year, I think, didn't he? In 2004, 2005, something like that. Um, and, you know, his track record then was, was, was exceptional. But I think, I think the game has moved on. Um, and I don't think he has moved on as much as, as the game has. Uh, you know, I read that he's dedicated and I, I get that, that he will work 24 hours, 24-7 but he he doesn't he, he's stuck in a style of play that um, I, th- I think the game has moved past that. So you know, we, to an extent, we saw a bit of, a bit of that with, um, with with Carlo, didn't we? In the second second sort of second half of the season, yeah. um, it worked okay when away from home, but it wasn't very. Well, it was more than okay away from home. It worked well away from home, but it wasn't attractive to watch, um, and it's. A very difficult way to play if you when you're playing at home, and do we do we do does it fit the squad that we've got? Does it fit the people that are maybe coming in? I don't know, and that's I think that's the big unknown whether or not he either can or is prepared to adapt his style of football to 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 the more modern game, mm. um, and whether or not if he doesn't. First of all, whether or not uh, the type of football that he showed at Newcastle in particular, whether or not a that that will be good enough to get us um, in European qualification positions, and secondly, whether or not that will be acceptable to you know the, the forty thousand Evertonians that go to Goodison every week, mm. because the other point, and I know the board considered this because they got lots of representations, including you know. From, from me, that there's going to be very little room for forgiveness um, because of the because of the association with Liverpool Football Club, and if either if results don't go necessarily the right way early on, or if the style of football is not uh, particularly attractive or exciting, uh, 
the, the rumbles in the crowd are going to start earlier than they would do with any other manager. Yeah. And is, is that something that either Everton really wants or can actually uh, cope with at this moment in time? Uh, sort of, I, I move from one side of the argument to the other in terms of, is, is he the candidate that represents um, some form of stability? I think he probably does if it, if it goes okay. And I know this sounds fairly obvious. If it goes okay, i.e. we play a style of football that's reasonably attractive and it produces results on the pitch, then he probably does represent stability in terms of uh, the squad that he's got and, and in terms of the way that we played under Carlo. The big concern, of course, is if it, if it doesn't do that, then we're really back to square one again. Mm. And, you know, God forbid, but if we have a poor start to the season, will we be in a position, say, end of November, beginning of December, where Mishiri looks down, down, you know, let's let's say we're, I don't know, 14th or 15th in the league. Let's hope that we're not, but let's say that we're in the sort of the lower half of the middle of the league. Does Mishiri start to worry about uh, is relegation an issue? And then does he sort of pull the trigger again? Um, does he do effectively what he what he did with Silver in terms of you know panicking? Uh, obviously, Silver wasn't the right appointment, and Silver, um, I think, had he stayed, we would have been in significant difficulty. But you know, the point I'm making, he, he will be seen as stability if we're okay. But if we're not okay, then uh, the route to the door is going to be pretty quick, I would imagine. Yeah, and that's a good point. Because I'm I just thinking about that from a, from a different perspective there, is that obviously, and you've re- rightly said, that Everton Football Club are a club in dire need of stability. Uh, and obviously, the Mashiri in particular's track record since he took charge of, you know, I think four managers, none of them have, have lasted longer than two years. But in this case, if Rafa doesn't achieve adequate results, it... it even if we do fire him, which is something that we shouldn't really, given how, how we know that it just doesn't work out, the complete, you know, it's just the, the merry-go-round of firing managers. But if that trigger was pulled, um, I don't think there'd be much uh, uproar about it. No, exactly. And, and you also have the situation where, you know, it's understood that certain board members, um, aren't very happy about the appointment. So clearly it would give them an opportunity to express their opinions uh, again. So it, it is a, it's a, it's a very high risk strategy, I think. Um, partly born out of there actually not being a number, you know, a large number of obvious candidates. Yeah. But also born out of, um, Mashiri and the advisors that Mashiri uses. And the problem I have with using external advisors, and I'll throw Usman off into this as well, is that external advisors are, are not accountable to, to the club and not accountable to the fans in any way. Um, and that concerns me greatly. And I think it's, I, I think it's actually very disrespectful to, to the club and particularly disrespectful to the fans. You know, we've had periods in our history before where we've had external businessmen interfering in the in in the affairs of the club. Now, people will say on this occasion, because of Usmanov and because of USN and his financial support through through USN, that he warrants, uh, or at least his thoughts warrant some attention. Well, I, I I don't go along with that at all. I think if you're if you're going to be involved in the management of the club, if you're going to be involved in the management of any organization, you have to have your name on the door mm. and you have to be accountable and you have to be available um, for criticism and you have to lis- listen to uh, whatever criticism is coming your way. I don't like the idea that uh, somebody can have influence on the club, but actually be nowhere near the club um, when accountability is called into place. Yeah. That's a that's a, a fair statement, I feel. Um and something else that I wanted to ask from what you what I picked up on from you earlier, um, is and it, it God for God knows how long attractive football is, is a term that's been coined about by our fans. Um um just wanting to see attractive football as they feel like it's an integral part of the you know, the DNA of the club, if you will. 
you can only play attractive football if you've got good footballers. Um, to state the obvious, do you think Benitez has the capability to convince the likes of Richarlison, Calvert Lewin? Uh, I know he's recently been in touch with Pickford, who's having a great Euros. Um, Dinia, some of our, our better players. Do you think Benitez has the capability of making those players stick with the project? Because I know one of my fears was that obviously I would have I would have warmed a lot quicker to an appointment of a Duncan Ferguson after experiencing that caretaker spell, uh, which he, in which he did relatively well, but something that I conceded relatively quickly with the appointment of like a Ferguson would be that there's no reason for our better players to stay then. Um, so, as I say, in, in this instance, do you feel like, you know, you've said that you don't feel like he's an elite manager anymore? That's a viewpoint that I share and I agree with. Do you think he has the vision to convince these better players to stay? And I'll throw Hamez in there as well, because I know the rumours about uh, his fu- his future um, are up in the air as well. I think he's, I think he's, I mean, clearly he speaks well and clearly he impressed, um, you know, Mashiri in particular before, before he came to the club and given his experience and he, he is recognised as a, as a decent man manager. I mean, he's not the cuddly type who you know, put your arm around, around somebody, but he is recognised as being, a, you know, a, a decent man manager, albeit hard, you know, a hard manager. Yeah. So I, I I don't doubt that he can present something to to those players that says, "Come on, guys, give me a chance here. Um, I've been brought in for a reason, and the reasons are this, and this is what I want you to do." And to buy into, uh, you know, at least a strategy for for, the, for this season that's that, that's coming up. I'm pretty sure he can do that. Uh, whether Hammer stays. I think that's as much down to his agent as it is down to Hammers. And um, it, it, I mean, it's obviously a massive wasted opportunity if he goes. Mm. But if he goes, he goes. Uh, I don't think we should be building. It sounds ridiculous because he's he's the you know technically the best player that we've had for many many years. But I don't think we should be building our future around Hammers, unfortunately, because because of his character and because of his agent first and foremost. Um, DCL, I think is still committed to the club and, and, and why shouldn't he be, you know, where, where the club that stood by him, where the club that gave him his opportunity. And he's starting to repay that now. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that he's not been very much involved in the Euros is probably a, a big positive for us. Um, Richarlison, I think is a difficult one because, you know, it's sort of fairly well uh, documented that a year ago, he gave Carlo effectively 12 months. Um, now, will he be prepared to give another 12 months, uh, which is possibly even more more of an unknown uh, quantity than, than, than last year? I don't know. I, I, I really don't know. And then, of course, the question is, well, based on his performances over much of last season, is it a good idea whether, you know, to cash in on him or not? Uh, and I'm... I'm, I'm I'm really puzzled. I suppose it depends upon a if we were to cash in on him, how much we could get for him, and that will be dependent upon who buys him, obviously. Um, but then also, you know, who do we have in mind in terms of replacing him? Has Brands got a number of people that can uh, do the type of job uh, that Richarlison showed certainly the year before last, if, if not most of, most of last year? So, it's, it's, I think I, th- I think it's quite a difficult one. I think. Of, of the other players mentioned, probably they can be convinced to stay. And, and most of them, I think, I don't think most of them find Everton a, uh, a difficult place to work. I think that's part of the issue, actually, that they, it needs to become a more, much more difficult place to work because yeah. we need to demand more out of the players that are there. Um, but yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a bit of an unknown, isn't it? Yeah, very much so. And again, he... It comes down to, as you say, the, that recruitment aspect of if we are willing to let our better players go, um, have we got ideal and adequate replacements lined up? Um, and uh, we'll try and talk about the Euros in a little bit, but you know, looking at a player like maybe Belgium's Jeremy Doku, if 
Richarlison is to go, um, which I I don't hope he I, I hope he doesn't. Um, obviously, he's got real really high aspirations for his career, and I don't see why not. Uh, he can be a bit hit and miss at times, but still, I think he ended up last season as our second top goal scorer. Um, I think he has a real social conscience, which I think is is lost amongst many young footballers today. And I think the fact that he set that example to importantly our young fans, uh, I think from a from a PR and brand perspective, I think that's wonderful. Um, and yes, he he he's got a temper on the pitch. He looks moody at times, and he doesn't always turn up. But again, the the, the lad's only young. He's still only like twenty four. Um, and I do feel like if we were to let him go, that it would come round and bite us on the backside. Um, and it's well documented that he has a really good relationship with Carlo Ancelotti. Um, and I remember he, he put a, a tweet out not too long before Ancelotti left, <laughs> like of him hugging Carlo, like um, just a sort of quote in the Carlo Ancelotti song, uh, which does sort of worry me. Uh, and just to, to switch this to the event to which I guess started this bad dream, uh, the swift and ill-received departure of Carlo Ancelotti. Um, I think we've had just over a month to digest that now. Um, so I'd just like to ask Paul, what's your take on Ancelotti and, and the manner in which he left the club? I think Carlo has proved himself to be uh, unworthy of his reputation. Uh, I think there's a, a, a lot that he said and a lot that he's probably done that um, you wouldn't, we wouldn't have expected of him from 12 months ago. Now, how much of that is just down to the fact that perhaps when he got here, he felt he'd made a mistake, that he felt that perhaps he wasn't the right person to take the club forward. He wasn't the right person to, um, to face the challenges that Everton obviously um, presented him in terms of you know our, our inability to, to progress, our inability to take advantage of uh, an opportunity that should have led to European football uh, next year and really should have led to Champions League football. Yeah, it should have. Uh, if, if we look at our position sort of, you know, in, in late December, mm-hmm. did, he, did he actually just stop believing that uh, actually he could do what was needed to be done at Everton? That's... If you want to look at him kindly, that's, the, I think, the thought process that you'd go through. If you want to look at him less kindly than that, then clearly he's just a mercenary and he just moves from one place to another and he does things that suit him rather than suit his employers. Mm. Um, I, I think I, th- I think it's sad for everybody. Uh, we all... We all bought into this enormous dream when he came. The yeah. fact that he's come to us, you know, and nobody, myself included, really looked at it analytically and said, "Actually, what's he doing here? Why is he here? Um, and is he actually the right person?" Now, as the season went on, so sort of the the last six months of his eighteen months here, people started asking those questions. Um, but perhaps we should have asked those questions earlier. And perhaps, again, going back to Mishiri, Mishiri should have asked those questions of himself mm. uh, and not just gone for another Hollywood uh, manager, which was clearly what he did. Um, so, again, you know, it goes back to so many questions about the club, about decision-making, about is there a strategy or do we just deal with a situation as a situation arises. And um, unfortunately, there's only one person that knows that, and that's Farhad Mashiri. Yeah. And a question that I guess I really should have asked earlier in relation to to coaching staff. Um, obviously, the likes of Duncan Ferguson and Alan Kelly and Leighton Baines now, of course, uh, were involved in the club um, while Carlo Ancelotti was there. Um, and... Benitez has made the decision to keep those guys on. Um, I'm sure it was yourself I saw an interesting tweet from. Uh, and I guess, as a whole, it, it's an interesting discussion I had with Terry McAllister recently about the, the culture of the club. Um, the fact that these guys are staying on um, under Benitez's watch, um, is that 
FC Cozy, or is that these guys are of some value to the operations of the football club and what we want to achieve? It's a really interesting question because um, if you, it, like we talked about earlier, if you take the view that Benitez is um, agents of change, then you have to ask yourself why are all these people who've been associated with the club and take out Baines because he's only been there a short time in terms of his you know, coaching development role. Um, why are all these people being kept on? I suppose the, the flip side of that is, well, perhaps that was the, you know, that was part of the negotiation, part of the, perhaps the people that didn't really want Benitez to come to the club said, well, the only way that you can come to the club is if, you know, we retain our identity by having uh, Duncan Ferguson yeah. sitting on the bench alongside you, because I think visually um, that's going to be a very important factor. And I think, you know, not that Benitez needs a shield, but Ferguson can, in a sense, almost act like, act like a human shield to um, to any wrath that Benitez, <laughs> comes Benitez's way yeah. by being more visible and be, by being seen to be more um, proactive in, in, in the middle of a game. So, it, you know, there is a, certainly a, 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 um, a visual aspect to this going forward. Why, why, why is why is Ferguson still with us? Why is why is Ferguson, you know, gone through so many managers in his, in his assistance role? Well, nobody can doubt his dedication to the club. Nobody can doubt the fact that he loves loves the club. Nobody can doubt the fact that he does fantastic work uh, on the community side and in terms of you know the work he does as an individual. A lot of work outside of the uh, eyes of the media in terms of helping Evertonians and everything else. Fantastic, way beyond the call of duty on on all of, all of those points. Mm. Um, but you really have to question whether his love for the club gets in the way of his ambition. Is that a good or a bad thing? Yeah. Some people might say it's a good thing. Some people might say, no, actually, you need to go and prove yourself. You need to go and prove yourself at a club where you don't have this emotional bond, that you can actually, you know, do the coaching role, do the management role that you need to do in order to become a, a future manager of Everton. Yeah. Um, and I and I, th- I think the club should have bitten the bullet and said, you know, this is an ideal opportunity uh, to allow Duncan to go off and to do the things that he needs to do in order to Im- improve his career chances at a later date, date with Everton. So... Again, you know, there's there's no there's no clarity here. There's, there's a, an equal argument for him staying and an equal argument for him going, and you can present different cases for him for for him having stayed. So, uh, part of this comes back, I think, to uh, communication, and the and the club doesn't communicate sufficiently, and a lot of people say, well, it it doesn't need to, it shouldn't do. Um, because other businesses don't do that. But, you know, football is so different from other businesses in the sense that it has this group of people that are called fans. Yeah. Um, and Everton Football Club, just like, you know, with fans of, of any other club, uh, to Evertonians, Ever- Everton Football Club is, you know, the most important thing in their lives probably outside of their family and actually for some probably including the family. Um and it demands it, it demands more information given than a normal business would give, and it demands actually a bit more respect of the people um, who actually you know we we don't own the club legally, but we own we own the identity of the club, um, and a lot of these questions would be much easier to answer or could be answered by the club themselves if they just communicated more. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a fair point. And interestingly, on the on the identity and understanding again the culture of the club, um, Everton have had a reputation of, obviously, you know, always have been a very very pl- proud club, um, and the you know historical like, no matter how fed up uh, of Everton Football Club I get, I can always go and read you know, a book on their history and, and become inspired again. And um, we'll never not be 
one of the most, um, you know, in my eyes, one of the greatest clubs uh, in England, just in, in regards to our history. Um, and some of the names that have, have walked through the door, I guess, from, from a managerial perspective, when you look, you know, Howard Kendall, Howie, uh, Harry Catterick, um, th- those are people that have, have understood, that, you know, the very fabric of the club and, and what it means to, to the fans. Um, and I guess, sort of bringing that back to Carlo, I think when Carlo come in, I think everybody thought... Right, yes, this is not at least the type of manager that we need um, because also often in recent history it's just been too easy to throw the manager under the bus due to their lack of experience or or lack of understanding the club. And You look at Ancelotti's track record, um, particularly within Italian football, I'd say, of, of understanding, you know, look at Milan and what he achieved at Milan. Uh, and how beloved he is there, uh, and of course going to Madrid, winning La Decima, um, and, and again receiving the admiration of the fans. It was the same this time round when he came. You know, people admired him and everything that he said into the, to the media in regards to his communication led us to believe that he understood the fan base and and uh, and what we expected of of our football team. Um, and albeit yes, I know he he stabbed us in the back um, quite painfully, and it, it still it, I think for a while it's going to be something that's hard to to process until we actually see some success, like some tangible success. But I don't know. I just as I say, I can't see Benitez being alongside those names of the likes of Yucatricks and yeah, you know. Colin Harvey's and and Howard Kendall, Alan Ball, like I I just can't see him ever being regarded in that bracket. And we've seen our football club now go from you know Marco Silva, Sam Allardyce, um, and I'm I'm very cautious that Everton are starting to take the shape of a club um, that, as I've said before, just doesn't expect the best. Um, can, I, can I counter that, Max? Go on. With, with, with something. He also gives us the opportunity to dismiss the idea that we can only ever be successful with an Evertonian at the helm. So, you know, a lot of people said, well, actually, if you, if you look at when we've won something, we've only ever won something with a former player, um, which is true. So it, it does give the opportunity to create a... a I hesitate to say a disconnect because we should never disconnect from our past and we should never disconnect from um, those those people that used to play for us that can now do a job for us. Oh, but it's a different narrative, isn't it? But that's the point. Yeah. Doesn't, doesn't that give us a broader narrative? Doesn't that give us a broader base from which we can be successful in the future? Because as you see, um, I see Benitez as, you, at the beginning of the conversation, you talked about you didn't want to see Benitez lead us out at Bramley Moor. I think Benitez, there's not a chance of Benitez being our manager in three years' time. Uh, he'll either fail and obviously go sooner than that, or I think he will do a sort of stability-type job over two years, maybe get us into European football next season or the season after, and put us in a better position to recruit somebody um, who is like more appropriate at that time? So I don't ever see him being a you know a long term solution. Uh, but if he is successful, he he will sort of have, have broken that idea that we can only ever be successful if we have a former Evertonian or we have an Evertonian um, managing us. Because whilst it's whilst it's wonderful, it's also very limiting. Yeah, because actually the people. The people are now at the age where they should be managers of a club like Everton that used to play for Everton, never experienced success as players. All the the the, the managers who achieve success as managers achieve success as players. Mm. If you think about it, Kendall, uh, uh, in particular, and and obviously obviously Joe Joe Royal as well. They they were around when Everton was successful in the sixties, and then and then. Um, and early 70s and then became successful as managers thereafter. The, the generation of people, say, who were in the uh, 40s to 50s, which would be sort of, you know, the core uh, football management age, 
those players who played for Everton never experienced success at Everton, or very few of them will have done. Mm. You know, you take, you take out an isolated FA Cup in 1995. Um, you know, the generation of the 80s, they're all now too old to manage a football club or to come into uh, into management, you know, the, like the Peter Reeds of this, or, or, play, or people like Peter Reed rather, yeah. you know, their generation is gone in terms of their ability to to manage. And I know, and I know Benitez is sixty one, and um, you know the point I'm making. Yeah, I do. You've you've pretty much best best case scenario that in the long term, um, if Benitez does, and I guess that that's another question: what what would we quantify as success on the Rafael Benitez? Like, because we've comp- we've got to let go now of this idea of being the best of the rest because we're not we're quite clearly not we had the opportunity to be last season and just completely bottled it um so before moving on to Bramley Moor because I do want to talk about the news that came out uh, around Bramley Moor um quite conveniently I must add but what do you think would quantify as success with Rafael Benitez as Everton manager uh, European qualification uh, and or a domestic trophy, mm, it's always, which is obviously obviously going to be FA yeah, Cup or or, 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 or League Cup. Yeah, is is that is that Champions League football? Is that just just has it got to a point now where it's just any degree of European qualification? Because it's been so many years now. I I think you know Carlo having gone and us having not qualified for uh, the Europa League next season. Um, yeah, they, you know, it has to be just been, it, it's now European football as against Champions League football. Mm. I think had we qualified for the Europa League and had Carlo stayed, we would have, you know, quite clearly, we would have been pushing ourselves for Champions League football the, the following season. Yeah. I think it's a, it's a stretch to imagine that we will do so this, this, com- this coming season. But hey, you know, we might have a fantastic uh, summer transfer window, and it may all may all fall into place. That's that's to be decided, isn't it? Yeah, here's to hoping. Um, and another event regarding the, the future of Everton Football Club and, and moving forward in a in a positive note. Um, we recently announced that we will take possession of the Bramley Moor Dock site on Monday, the twenty sixth of July with the contractors beginning the first phase of the project. Um, this is something that I know, particularly from a financial perspective, that you've got interesting takes on. Um, so with that news, which you know not long followed the announcement of the manager, um, what do you think people should be mindful of when thinking about the progress of the new stadium? Gosh. Hmm. The, the 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 club is put at risk because because of the investment that's made. Now, I don't want to make that sound like as if it's horrific or threatening or um, being being negative. It's just an acknowledgement. I think that's, that, the, that's a well documented fact, and I, I remember Arsenal suffering greatly in regards to like player recruitment after moving to the Emirates. So I don't yeah. think that's a, a far gone statement. No. I think I think I think what's really interesting about it, uh, Max is, I mean, clearly it's, an, it's going to be a huge advance for, for the club and it is going to be, you know, one of the most significant things that the club has ever done when the stadium opens. Uh, I think the club have been somewhat obviously unfortunate in terms of COVID coming along at a time when they, the plans would probably be more advanced now than they, than they are if COVID hadn't happened. So, and that's outside of their control. Obviously, the inability to create success and stability on the pitch uh, continues to be an issue, although you know, relegation shouldn't really be an issue. But the fact that we have yet to consistently qualify for Europe mm. and enjoy the financial benefits of that uh, are an issue. And I think that's why you'll find um, that Mashiri is actually funding the first part of the construction and we'll get our uh, borrowings some, at some point um, down the line if you if you look back at everything that's been written about how we were going to fund the stadium, everything that the club has said 
about how the stadium was going to be funded. Um, nobody ever put it in that order. It was always a question of we would borrow money at one time from the city council, but then accepted that we would borrow money from uh, the private markets and at Mishiri and at the uh, naming rights partner, which is obviously going to be USM, mm -hmm. would fund the difference between the borrowing and the total cost. Now, for the reasons that I just explained, it seems that the borrowing is slightly more difficult than we thought it would be. Um, but because we're under time pressure to get the uh, construction started, if we're going to start this uh, season 2024-25, we have to start uh, in the middle of this summer because it's a three-year build process. Mm -hmm. um, we've had to go ahead before we've got the, fun the full funding in place. Now, we will have given uh, the main contractors, Lango Rourke, a, a cast iron guarantee that they will get their money so that they will be satisfied that the funding will get into place. That's It's not an issue. It's not a question that we won't be able to do this. It's just a recognition that in order to start the process, the building process now, um, Mishiri is paying before we actually uh, get the borrowings in place. Mm. Um, and that's interesting because that's never the way that it was thought it was, it was going to happen, but there, there you go. So in a sense, Mishiri is, take, is, is, take, is taking that risk. So to that extent, I mean, I, I, again, not to come across as a cynic, just try, in all interest of being a realist, does that worry you? It doesn't worry you. Well, you know, it, it doesn't worry me. Um, I think I'd be worried if it, slightly worried if it was, if I was Mishiri. It does it have an impact on the club? Uh, well, it might have an impact, as you say. Looking forwards, if uh, if the lenders take a more aggressive stance in terms of, you know, how much money we can spend, uh, what are we going to do to cut our losses because we're still a loss making organisation? Let's remember that Arsenal were a profitable organisation when they borrowed the money. Yeah. Um, we're a loss making organisation and will, and will be uh, for several years to come until we get regular European football and, in fact, until we move in, into the new stadium. So the slightly different factors uh, probably means that it's slightly more risky than it than, than we might have thought uh, a couple of years ago. But again, you know, Mashiri seems willing to take that risk, and to be fair to him, he's funded whatever shortfall the club has needed. Um, and I don't suppose for a second he, he wouldn't not um, continue that funding if it was necessary. Mm. I mean, interestingly. From what you raised there, that football clubs notoriously, um, especially I'd say over the last 15, 20 years, are notorious for being loss making organizations, um, operating at a loss. And obviously, European football goes a hell of a long way, um, to, to operating at a profit. It's interesting that you say we may have to wait until we move into the new stadium, but I've traditionally been told that moving. Obviously, it just comes comes along with the risk assessment that the, there's just huge risk associated um, with moving into a new stadium in regards to your profits and your losses. So how long after moving into a new stadium would you expect the turnaround to operate in, uh, at a profit? And even if we do move into the new stadium and, you know, become a lot more commercial uh, in regards to the commercial side of the game, but do you think that still hinges on European football, if that's the case? It's an awful lot better with European football. Yeah. I mean, you know, bear in mind that, what, Goodison produces, generates revenue of around 14, 15 million pound a year in terms of gate money. Uh, Bramley Moore is probably going to generate anywhere between 40 and 50 million pound a year in gate money. <clears throat> so you get that immediate uplift in income, obviously you've got some costs, you've got some borrowing costs uh, to set against that. But then you've also got the increased uh, commercial opportunities that come out of that, increased sponsorship. Um, and obviously if we do have European football, that then inflates everything even more in terms of broadcasting income yeah. um, and, and everything else. So Bramley Moore in itself is not going to solve our uh, financial issues. It's going to help um, what solves our financial issues, what creates a balance between what we spend and, and, and what we earn is how we perform on the pitch. 
Yep. And it's your it, it, European football is is the solution to that. You know, we can we can pretty much guarantee ourselves if we're in, in the Europa League anything between twenty and forty million euros a year, depending upon how far into the competition we go. And if we do get into Champions League, uh, even though we've got a very low coefficient because of our poor European record. You know, we can guarantee ourselves anything from thirty-five million to a hundred million if we if if we won the Champions League, um, and given the size of the club and given you know our current levels of income, those figures are very very significant. Yeah. So yeah. it comes down to what we do on the pitch. The, the stadium will help, and it, it, no doubt about it. But ultimately, if we're going to be successful financially. Uh, we have to achieve much more on the pitch than we are. Yeah, <laughs> very rightly said. And again, not to be a cynic, but we've been saying that for like five, six years, haven't we? So, <laughs> uh, yeah. Here's hoping for. Here's hoping. And to to end the podcast, because I know I said I did, I did want to talk about this because had it not been for international football over the last couple of weeks, I feel like I would have lost interest in football as a whole. Like the European Championships have been absolutely fantastic it's been like great game after great game um drama after drama and on the other side of the globe Richarlison's Brazil uh, are through to the semi-finals of the Copper Americas and um I regret I haven't watched as much of the Copper Americas as I'd have liked I've only sort of seen highlights um but I've been glued to the Euros um so I'm just wondering how you've found the Euros over the last couple of weeks <laughs> uh, well, actually, I haven't seen that that much of it. Uh, partly because I've just been busy doing other things, and also I don't tend to watch a lot of football. It's not Everton, but what what I have seen is, um, I think actually it's been quite a liberating tournament. I think it's been a liberating tournament uh, because it's been played in different venues. I think I think actually that element of it has worked um, very well, although. It makes obviously makes it much more difficult for fans to attend, particularly um, in, in a COVID environment. Yeah. Um, I think the fact that fans have been back in, in the grounds has, 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 has made a massive difference. Um, to the you know just to it, it's become this has almost become like a celebration of football. It's like almost like a, a rebirth of football, if that's not pushing the, the point too too far. Um, it's a sort of showing us what football used to be like, having been through 18 months of, you know, really quite awful football um, without fans being in the ground. So, um, yeah, it's, it's it's been great. I can't pretend I've watched every minute of it because I haven't. Um, but uh, it's great to see everybody's excitement and, you know, some absolutely ama- amazing, fantastic games along the way. Yeah, certainly. And I guess for, for a final question, Paul, it, yeah, I, I, it dawned on me that it... it might be a really interesting question to ask you this week you're saying that you only watch football that's really Everton um I always find the the notion of support in England um it's a really interesting subject to get into for people that are from Merseyside because you've got a lot a lot of people who are very anti-England some like myself that just aren't really bothered um and then you get the occasional one that are all for it and and sort of slate the anti-England uh, brigade. But I, I was wondering, how, how do you feel about England's progress over the tournament? <laughs> okay. I thought you were going to ask me a different question then, and oh. I just prepared an answer for it mentally. Go on, what was can the, I tell, you the, the, can I tell the you the answer to the question I thought you were going to ask me? Go on. What, what did I feel about supporting England? Yeah. Um, that's why I thought you were going to ask me. It's really funny. I, I spoke to a, a friend of mine who uh, works for one of the national broadcasters and, and has watched England home and away for must be 30 years. Um, I spoke to him a couple of days ago and he's like going on about, you know, all these sort of different incidents and he's talked for years about, you know, things that have happened when you're away supporting England. And I said to him, you know, I feel like I'm about the same age as this person. Um, I said, I, I have never, ever been to an England game, home or away. And I never will because I've got no interest in it. Yeah. <laughs> and, Part of that is because I'm from Liverpool. Part of that is because I'm not really into all this nationalism. Yeah. Um, and I think it brings out like, it, it's good to be proud of your country, but I think it, I think it, I think football brings it out in the wrong way. 
mm. and, and not a way that I'm entirely comfortable with. And I have to say the idea that uh, you can stand alongside people, fellow supporters who boo another team's national anthem just just disgusts me. Yeah. And that made me me being an old fart, I don't know. No, it's not. Um, I, I was like that during the, the Germany game when I was watching that. It's just I, embarrassing. I it. Yeah, it's really embarrassing. Yeah. They're not, they're not the values that I see in being English. Um, and that's how, obviously a whole completely different subject, uh, what are the values of being English. Um, but certainly, you know, just it's just, it's just crass. I, I, don't want, I don't want any part of it. No. And frankly, I don't care whether England win or lose. <laughs> if we, we lose, then our players get a bit more rest. So Yeah, I'm with you on that for 100%. <laughs> As always, yeah. mate, it's a, it's an absolute pleasure to, to talk with you. As I say, uh, I really enjoy it. And I always feel like I've come away um, from our podcast learning something. So um, you didn't have to spend over an hour of your time speaking to me on a Saturday. So I really appreciate that. Thank you. No, it's a real pleasure. I, I, I always I always enjoy speaking to you, and then you always ask me interesting questions. So, good stuff. Aye, uh, and <laughs> weird that it said, let's hope for the best with uh, with Benitez, eh? Uh, so yeah, we're hoping that Benitez does really well, and that England lose one nil tonight. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers, Paul. Really appreciate it, mate. Thank you. All right, Max. Take care. No worries. Take care, mate.